Well, good morning. I'm Stephen. I'm the pastor here, and I want to invite you to grab your your bulletins if you want to take notes today. There's a, a diagram in there that we're going to fill out as we talk through this, so <clears throat> get ready for that. We're in a series called Enjoy Sex, Money, Power, and the Goodness of God. Um, and we started this a couple weeks ago where Mike preached for us. He preached on the prodigal sons. And he talked about that there's two ways that we miss God, right? The older brother missed God and the younger brother missed God. Um, talked about rebellion and, um, and, and just uh, like self-righteousness. And then last week, Chad began to apply that message to the issue of how do we deal with creation? How do we deal with the world that God made, the world that is both beautiful and broken at the same time? And we saw that younger brother tendencies are to worship the world and putting the earth ahead of God, uh, putting what the earth produces ahead of God. But, and then the older brother rejects the world, cynically denying its goodness. Uh, the older brother separates from the world and acts like the world is really just entirely designed to tempt us to leave God. Okay, and both of those brothers, both of those approaches miss the truth. Um, it's either rebellion against God uh, or rejecting what God has made. And, and so this idea, these two messages that have gone on, gone on already, set us up to dive deeper into both the world and our lives. Okay, we want to talk about how these opposite ways of reacting to the world, they keep us from fully loving God. Okay? They keep us from being able to receive God's good gifts. Um, there are some things that are in the world that are temptations for us, that we get tempted to serve before God. And then there are some things that God gives us to enjoy, and we neglect them. We don't actually use them, and our lives and our relationship with God suffers. And so some of these things, sex, money, power, politics, food, alcohol, all of these things can be polarizing for us in the way that we react, especially if we react the way that the younger or the older brother reacted in the story of the parable of the man with the two sons. And so today we're going to look specifically at power. Okay, we're looking at power today. This is third in the list of sex, money, and power, but I want to address it first of these three because discussing power is going to help us to understand how to think about the other two and all the rest of the topics that we're going to discuss in this series. Now, power is also important for us to discuss because we all have it. All of us have power, uh, and we're all tempted to either abuse or neglect the power that we have. Okay, And both, abuse and neglecting power, uh, these are both wrong responses that leave us both unfruitful and unhappy in our lives. Okay, so let's talk just a minute about what power is. Okay, power can mean having the force to tell other people what to do, right? That's kind of how we think about power a lot. Um, when we think of power, we might think about political power, especially at this season in our country's life, um, or authority in the workplace, right? If you're the boss, you have the power. Um, sometimes it's just being able to get your way. Um, yesterday we were driving and uh, we were blocked off by security guards and we rolled down the window and because of the personalities that were in the car, because of creatively thinking about ways to discuss things with the security guards, we were let through and we got our way. And so we had a measure of power there. 
um, when we think about power in this more general sense, we see that it's not just for people in charge. Okay, all of us have different measures of power in our friendships, in our families, and with people who are close to us. Okay, so this discussion of power hits all of us in our lives today. And so when I think about quotes about power, there's one in particular that I feel like gets quoted more than anything else. And so I want to share that from you. It's from the English historian and politician, Lord Acton. Right? You know this quote? It goes like this. Power tends to corrupt, and absolute power corrupts absolutely. He goes on, he says, Great men are almost always bad men when you see the certainty of corruption by authority. Wow. Right? I think that, uh, I mean, this, this quote... I feel like there's a sense where all of us can agree with this, right? We've seen power corrupt people. We've seen that the more power people have, the more corrupt they can become. And and frankly, this is how most people think about power, especially during an election season. Um, There is incredible complaints coming from both sides about how corrupt the other side is with the power that they have. Um, And so the idea here, though, is that people who have power are corrupt because power corrupts people. Well, there is this one author that I've read that I've listened to with incredible like awe. He's like literally put me in awe. Um, his name is Andy Crouch, and he's written two books on this subject of power that I think are incredibly helpful. Um, these are pictures of the books. The first one's called Playing God, and the subtitle is Redeeming the Gift of Power. Interesting. And then the other one's called Strong and Weak, And you cannot read the subtitle there unless you're maybe in the front two rows. But you don't want to sit there because you get wet. Um, But the subtitle for Strong and Weak is Embracing a Life of Love, Risk, and True Flourishing. And in these books, Andy Crouch takes all that the Bible has to say about power and he distills it down in an incredibly helpful and practical way. Okay, and so I want to talk a little bit about what he has to say, and we're going to look again at the parable of the man with the two sons that Jesus had. So we're going to look at these things and compare them, and we're going to walk through and understand power in our lives today. Well, so Andy Crouch says that uh, what power is, power is actually made up of two different components. And Andy puts these two components on a two-by-two grid, okay? And so these two components are power and risk, okay? Power and risk. And so if you got your bulletin, you want to take notes, you can fill in the blank lines there at the top into the left of the grid. It's power uh, on the left and then risk on the top. So what does power mean? Well, power means control or authority or influence, the ability to get your way. Power is the ability to make and to take meaningful action. Okay, so you can do something that matters. If you can do something that matters, then you have power. Now, risk means vulnerability. Risk means dependence on things outside of yourself. Risk means that there's something at stake, that you could lose something, uh, that you're open to being hurt in the situation or in the relationship. 
And Andy Crouch says that in order to understand God's design for power, you need to see how these two things, risk and power, relate to each other. And we need to see them in a range from low to high. Okay? And so that's there in your bulletin, from low to high. So we have power, low to high power, and then we have low to high risk. And when we see how risk and power overlap, it shows us exactly how power can corrupt. Okay, and the narrative of the story of the man with the two sons that Jesus tells, uh, the one that Mike preached a couple weeks ago, um, it it shows us how some of these boxes work when you match up high and low risk with high and low power. Um, In the story of the man with the two sons, just a very brief overview, the the younger son goes to his father and says, give me my inheritance, I'm out of here. Like, I'm gone. I don't want to be here anymore. You've got wealth. Give me my share now, which basically Mike's told us um, that that means I wish you were dead and I'm going to live that way starting today. So that's what the younger son did. Um, And then here's what happened next. In Luke 15, verses 13 to 16, it's in your bulletin also. um, It says, not many days later, the younger son (laughs) gathered all that he had and took a journey into a far country And there he squandered his property in reckless living. Okay, now this is the upper left square in the chart. Okay, what the younger brother does is the upper left square of the chart. He's got high power, okay, because he's got this incredible inheritance. He's got an incredible amount of money. He can live and do anything that he wants, right? He's got this financial cushion um, that uh, he can do everything. And he's got low risk, right? Because he's sitting on a bed of money, right? There's no risk. He, you know, if something goes wrong, he can pay for it, right? If he doesn't have friends, he can buy them, right? He's got everything that he needs. He's got high power. He's got low risk. And that supports his reckless living. And so, again, back to Andy Crouch. Andy says that to live in this box, to live with high power and low risk, he says is actually idolatry. So the first box we're going to fit in, high power and low risk, is actually idolatry. Let me explain how this works. This is actually the promise that comes to us from things that want to be gods in our lives. Okay, this is the promise. This is why you do things that you probably think maybe afterwards you shouldn't have done. This is why we're drawn to things like drugs, like career, like money, like relationships, is because we feel like they'll give us high power with low risk. Um, An idol makes two promises to us that is identical to the promise that the devil made to Adam and Eve in Genesis 3. Okay, and that first temptation, let me just show that to you, remind, remind you of it if you've heard this before, and if you haven't, this is the core of what is broken with our world, okay, was that the devil came to Adam and Eve and said this, the serpent said to the woman, you will not surely die, right, there's this threat that if we eat from this tree that God told us not to eat from, we're going to die, and the devil says, no, come on, are you crazy, you will not surely die, In fact, God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God. 
This is the temptation of so many things for us. The temptation says, look, you're not going to die. It's not that bad. No one's going to find out, right? I mean, these are the things that, that we get tempted with. Like, no one's going to find out. It's, it's not that big a deal. Everybody else does it. Why don't you? And then it's like, you know what? If you do this, you're going to have it all. You're going to have life your way. You can do what you want. And so idolatry promises power. It promises sometimes like an infinite amount of power, like so much power that you don't stop to think about what the limits might be. He's saying you don't need God. Nothing's going to happen to you. You'll be like God. You'll get to decide for yourself what is right and what is wrong. And so uh, let me just give you uh, an illustration of of, of how this actually works practically today. Um, Think about walking into a very crowded room where you don't know anybody. Okay, there's maybe like four people that are excited right now being in that situation here in this room. Um, most of you, you're a little bit nervous. Some of you are like abjectly terrified. Some of you in your mind's eye actually have already left the room. You've, some of you have found out where the bathroom is. Some of you found out where the, the drink table is, right? Because you want to go do something so you can have something, right? I mean, this is how we feel sometimes in a crowded room. Well, what if I told you, okay, what if I told you that I could hand you something so that if you sipped from it, that sense of risk, that sense of vulnerability would slowly ebb away. And what if I could give you, and in this thing as you sipped on it, what if I could give you a godlike sense of power that would come over you where you'd become funnier, you'd become more confident, other people that are around you might even become better looking, to you? Right? Like, what would you say to that? Exactly. Like, let's go. Come on. Where is this thing? Um, San Diego's full of them, right? We craft them here, right? This is the draw of alcohol. Like, this is exactly the promise that alcohol makes, Let me take away your risk and let me give you all the power that you need. This is temptation. And and the moment that you start using alcohol to manage vulnerability in a social situation, okay? We're actually going to preach a sermon on food and alcohol on this. So alcohol is not bad. Alcohol is not evil. God made stuff to ferment. Ben Franklin says God is Beer is proof that God loves the world, right? In San Diego, we believe that. We, we, you know, but, 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 but. So, like, and I'll preach on that later. I think I just preached my whole sermon, actually, now. So you can skip that week, I guess. But the moment that you start using alcohol to manage your vulnerability in a social situation, that alcohol has stopped becoming a good gift from God, and it is becoming a savior for you. You are looking to the alcohol to rescue you, to take away your vulnerability and to give you power. This is how idols work. And what is particularly ensnaring about idols like alcohol or drugs or relationships or career or work is that they do work at first. I had an amazing time. Oh my goodness, every time I 
you know, fill up a little bit. Every time I'm a little bit tilted, you know, like I just feel better. I'm funnier. People say they like to be around me, right? I mean, this is how it works. But the problem is they don't keep working. You know, if you keep using your idol, whether it's alcohol or work or money or beauty or success, even rest, uh, they, they continue to promise this high power and low risk. But in the end, the pattern turns itself upside down. Okay, in the end, you end up with all risk and no power. Okay, that's the pattern of idols, and that's exactly what happened to the younger brother in the story. Okay, let's look at that. Luke 16, it says, And this is the next, and when he had spent everything, a severe famine arose in that country, and he, the younger brother, began to be in need. Right? His friends abandoned him because the money's gone, his friends are gone. Um, and, and so he went and he hired himself out to one of the citizens of that country who sent him into his fields to feed pigs. That's a big alarm because this was a good Jewish boy. Not so good, but he was a Jewish boy. Pigs were like filthy, unclean animals. Not supposed to touch him. Here he is feeding them because that's all the work he could get. And he was longing to be fed with the pods that the pigs ate and no one gave him anything. And so here he is. The tables have been turned. His pleasure idolatry has failed him. And now he's on the opposite side. He had high power and low risk, and now he has no power and huge risk. He's vulnerable, and he can't do anything about it. He is now not much better than a slave. This is what our idols do to us. All of them do this to us. Um, they put us actually in the bottom right box. It's, it's this box. And it's the box called poverty. It's a box called poverty. So box number one of idolatry has a direct line that leads us into poverty. Now it's literal poverty here in this story for the younger brother. Um, but this is a reality for so many. Um, I think risk is a good word for, you know, professionals here in San Diego. Uh, but there are so many people for whom poverty is a problem because it produces serious vulnerability. Okay, there's a vulnerability here uh, when you have um, high risk and low power. Um, there are so many people that are in this category today. Either they're vulnerable politically because they have no one who speaks up for them, or they're vulnerable relationally because they believe that they're at the mercy of the approval of others. And that's another form of idolatry that you just can't ever get enough of. And so here's the takeaway. The takeaway here is that if you're abusing the power that you have, okay, if you're using that power to live your own way, Come back to Jesus or come to Jesus for the first time before you hit the bottom, before your idol fails you. And idols are incredibly demanding. They demand more and more and more of your time. Like drugs are a really good example of this, right? You have to take more and more of the drug to get the same kind of high. And even that diminishes over time to the point where you are literally enslaved. You're orienting your life around how do I get the resources and the time that I need to spend time with this drug, 
this alcohol, um, this situation. And so if you're living in poverty, maybe, you know, I know that a lot of you have hit the bottom. Some of you have come to Jesus from that bottom um, and you've found hope and new life. Um, but I want to encourage you, if you're in this area of poverty, whether it's physical poverty or spiritual poverty of some sort or emotional poverty, again, turn and follow Jesus because what you will find is that serving Jesus is so different from serving an idol. The idols don't care about you. The idols will literally use you and spit you out. But when you serve Jesus, you get life. You get hope. You get meaning. You get purpose. And so I want you to remember again that in the father in Jesus' story had two sons. And the older brother, now let's shift our focus onto him. The older brothers tend to watch the younger brothers and they are so critical, right? They are so, so critical. They watch the younger brothers abusing their power and they say, see, power is so evil. Power corrupts and makes people corrupt. And so it's so critical. It's so judgmental. Um, And then when the younger brothers fail, when they fall, the older brother then says, ah, see, he deserves it. It's what he gets for what he did. And this is what we see in the story of the older brother. The father, when the younger brother comes home, the father then throws a party and finds, he looks around, he's like, wait, the younger brother's not here. He sees that the younger brother's out in the fields. And so the, the, the father goes to the older brother to invite him to join in the celebration that, hey, Jimmy's home. You know, come on, join the party. He was lost and now he's found. And here's the response of the older brother. But he was angry and refused to go in. And his father came out and entreated him. But he answered his father, Look, these many years I have served you and I never disobeyed your command. Yet you never gave me a young goat that I might celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours came, who has devoured your property with prostitutes, you killed the fat calf for him. The older brother takes, I mean, initially the older brother is taking a position of high authority and no, and no risk. He's just being judgmental. He's being, he's actually taking the, 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 the form of God. Because here you have the father who has responded to the younger brother by welcoming him home and offering him grace and forgiveness, right? And the father is God in the story. And yet the older brother says, God, you have no idea what you're doing. God, you are a fool, but I know better. I'm going to be like God, and I'm going to declare that my younger brother is dead to me, condemned and not worth anything. And so that is a high-power, low-risk kind of stance. Um, the older brother is saying, it's, in some ways, it's, it's idolatry because it's not worshiping God, but the idol is himself. He's saying, I get to decide who deserves forgiveness and who doesn't. But there's something else here because the brother is disengaging. I mean, yes, he's condemning. Yes, he's criticizing. Yes, he's being critical, but he's doing it from out in the field. Okay, he's doing it from out in the field. Um, He's not welcoming with the father. And so 
you know people like this, right? Sometimes we are people like this. This is the armchair quarterback, right, who's yelling at the TV. Um, This is the armchair politician who never, ever prays for the political candidates that he or she is criticizing. Um, Nothing wrong with being honest about truth and facts. You'll see that I go to that place. But if we're not praying, right, if we're not engaging, if we are disengaging and literally just throwing grenades at other people, um, like this is, what's happening here, like these are people who are, they're actually not, taking any power at all. They're actually people of low power and low risk. Okay, and so these would be people today who just never risk anything, but they never accomplish anything either. Okay, they never risk, they never accomplish. That's low risk and low power. It's the bottom left of the chart, and this is called safety. This is safety. Because by standing outside, not welcoming with the Father, taking pot shots from the distance of safety, not facing his younger brother, not facing anybody else, but literally just complaining out there. And if anybody is going to go to him, he's going to complain and try to build this little safe haven of complainers and people that want to oppose what God is doing in the world. And so these are people who don't use their talents and their abilities to actually help others. These are people who sacrifice their God-given purpose and their influence because they're afraid to take a risk. Um, they leave the world no better and actually slightly worse than they found it. One example of this, video games. Low power, low risk. Um, man, they give you the simulation that you have power, right? Because you can fly a plane. You can take an M60 and you can, I mean, just, you know, you can drive a car. You can rape someone. Um, you get all of this power and yet you don't actually do anything. There's no danger. There's no real, there's no real risk. Um, and so... These are really three different ways to get power wrong, okay? Idolatry, poverty, and safety. And each actually produces a kind of life. I want you to see where these things go. Um, So with idolatry, uh, you end up spending your life where you are exploiting others. You have high power, low risk. You use your power to abuse other people. You're exploiting others, Um, In poverty, where you have no risk or power, I'm sorry, where you have high risk and no power, you're highly vulnerable, you're suffering. It's a life of suffering. And with safety, you are withdrawing. And so I want to illustrate each of these things with an image. In the area of exploiting, I think both candidates for president have a demonstrable track record of exploiting other people. Um, I'm not going to spend a whole, a whole lot of time on this now because we're going to do a whole sermon on politics coming up. So uh, I'm not going to go into any other details. Um, but then you have poverty. Um, again, poverty and vulnerability where you can't get out, where you can't actually take meaningful action. Um, and the deepest injury with this kind of poverty isn't the lack of money, but it's that 
you can't do anything meaningful to change your situation. Like that's what's so awful and destructive about poverty. Um, You can't change anything and you're exposed to incredible vulnerabilities. And then safety, withdrawing. This is a cruise ship. Now a cruise is wonderful for three to five days, but not for three to five years or three to five decades. Um, It's not good for human beings to spend too much time in this area of low risk and low power. So what do we do, right? What do we do? Is there an answer to this? Um, you know, what's the answer? Well, it just so happens we have one quadrant left. <laughs> All of our answers are in this fourth quadrant. Um, the answer is in the upper right. It's having both high power and high risk. Okay, that's the answer. The answer is having high authority, high ability to change your situation along with high vulnerability where you stand to lose something, where you are vulnerable and you're moving to the place where you are vulnerable. And this is called image bearing. Having high power uh, and high risk is what it actually means to live out the image of God. God has made us with incredible power, incredible influence, and yet he has also called us to take that power and that influence and not huddle ourselves up in the safety of no risk, but to actually enter into the world to the point where we are vulnerable. When we're vulnerable, we are actually bearing the image of God. Okay? And so image bearing means that you are flourishing. When you're taking meaningful action, when there is real risk involved, you, that's how you flourish. That's how you flourish. And so flourishing really just means it's being fruitful. It means that your life is characterized with the fruits of the presence of Jesus. And that fruit blesses you and it gives you so much that you have fruit to share with others. So again, let me give you an example of what this is. I read read about someone, this is actually Andy Crouch, talking about taking music lessons. Just the dynamic of taking music lessons. Um, He says that his music lessons actually created flourishing both for him and for his teacher. Because he said at the end of the lessons, he said we'd both be laughing and smiling. We're laughing and smiling together. And so like what happens? Like think about this. What happens in like the idea and the exchange of music lessons, right? Teaching is an exchange of power right? The, the one being taught has no power or very limited power, and the teacher has all kinds of power, okay? And so at the beginning, the power scale is like this, right? And the act of teaching in that hour that is spent, what happens? Well, the teacher actually gives and shares his or her power with the student. And so we think about power 
it's supposed to corrupt according to that quote. Well, this is one example, like music lessons are an example of how actually power can cause flourishing. Where the teacher is sharing his or her own power with the student. The student is increasing in power, and yet the teacher's power is not diminishing at all. In fact, the teacher's musical power may not be diminishing, it may not be going up, but the teacher's joy, the teacher's ability to help someone else causes their own sense to flourish. Right? And you see that what we have here, it's, it's not um, when we're image-bearing, right? we are bearing the image of God in the use of our power. It's not a zero-sum game. It's not the more that I have, the less that you have. It's the more that you share with me, the more that collectively we have together. That's how God has built the world. That is God's design for the world. Parents understand this. And I think single people who have solid friendships also experience this. When you have been on the giving end of real advice and you've provided real help to someone, a friend, a child in need, and you see them take your advice and they begin to flourish, how much joy does that give you? How much joy does it give you? Not only, does, I mean, it's, like a, it's, it's sort of like look everywhere and there's all kinds of joy that comes in and, and, and it feels like this increase in life, this flourishing happens because you feel good because, whoa, like you help somebody, right? And then they're actually experiencing life to a greater degree, to a fuller degree. Um, and it's a positive sum game. Now, now, sure, there's a microeconomic thing going on where you're paying for the lessons, right? Sure, when you're doing the music lessons, like that, that 50 bucks gets transferred. Um, there's no more money, but there is more of this power. Um, this is the kind of power that makes the world teem with power. This is the kind of power that God unleashed when he made the world. Because God didn't just make everything, but he made everything to give life. You know, not only is it incredibly colorful and wonderfully varied and amazingly beautiful, uh, the, the world that God made, but God made everything that lives to be life-giving. And so when God creates, he creates things that give life in and of themselves, right? And so animals and birds, fish and plants, right? All of these things they're born and they have seed in them to reproduce because that's what God does. And then he makes human beings and as human beings, it's like that to the nth degree, right? Where God makes us to be people who are made in his image. And then he says, look, hey, this thing that I've done, I want you to continue that work, right? The message from Chad last week about tending the garden and keeping the garden, right? We protect it. We defend and we tend, right? This is life giving. We're bringing life. And that's to the areas that we're responsible for, to our properties. We clean our desks at work, right? These are expressions of this, but it's also the people that are around us. We tend our people. We defend our people that we care about and that we love. And in this, we are bearing image. In this, we are bearing power. We're sharing power in a way that brings more power into the universe, 
man, like that's amazing that that's how God built it and that he shares his power with us. This is God's design at creation and this is what God the creator restored into our world with Jesus. Like Jesus is proof that God hasn't given up. Even though we have turned power into exploitation and we've impoverished people, even though we have withdrawn and not engaged with the power that God has given us, Jesus came because God has not given up. God will have his image bearers. He's going to teach us. He's going to work in us. He's going to grow us so that we begin to use our power in an image bearing way where we take meaningful action and we're not ashamed or we're not afraid to enter into vulnerable situations. And in Jesus, God acted with great power and he opened himself up to incredible risk and vulnerability. And what is so striking, what is so, like it'll grip your heart, it will change the way that you think about what you do, that you see that the greatest act of vulnerability that Jesus endured on the cross, right? That was the cross where he took your sin and mine, where he endured, where he was literally vulnerable for all of our sins. These three plus everything else that we've done. And it was because Jesus was willing to be that vulnerable that God used his action to bring about the greatest renewal in the history of mankind. Like in the resurrection, God said, there it is. That's the life. That's the life. That's the power. It's all right there. We think Jesus was weak for going to the cross, but the Bible says it was the greatest act of power for him to take on all of our guilt and all of our condemnation and all of our punishment and to live out the other side, to reemerge from the grave means that he is stronger and has more power than all of our fears that cause us to exploit people, from all of our fear that cause us to withdraw and not get vulnerable. Jesus, in his resurrection, vindicates this way of image-bearing power. And what this does, like what this does, is this calls us then to embrace this power. And this is what the church has been doing from its beginning. Um, let's see, do we have Acts 2? Is Acts 2 anywhere there? It's in the bulletin. Let's look at Acts 2. It's in your bulletin. Last verse there on the list. This is what it, how it describes the early followers of Jesus. It says, And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. They were praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. And so here we have a community of people that have significant power and significant risk. Right? They're bearing the image of God, devoting themselves to the apostles' teaching. This is the story of Jesus that gives them power, right? They're in fellowship with each other. That's authentic and real and risky community. Fellowship means that you're honest about both the highs and the lows, the good and the bad and the ugly, 
with each other. Um, and then they're breaking bread. This is communion. This is communion and a lifestyle of hospitality, where again, the power comes from Jesus at the communion table. And then as we invite each other into our homes, this is life on life. We're overlapping and intersecting our lives together so that we can be vulnerable. And then the prayers, communing with God to end the exploiting and the suffering and the withdrawing from the world, like begging God in his power, begging his kingdom to come and his will to be done here on earth as it is in heaven. Friends, I don't want you to despise the power that God has given you. I want you to see that you have it, that God has given you power and influence. He's given you authority, at least over your life and the decisions that you make, but also over the lives of the people that are close to you. And so embrace that power that comes from being part of God's image, from being redeemed in Jesus, and then share that power with others by being vulnerable, by being risky, uh, by being like the father who when someone else is becoming vulnerable, you run out to meet them. Uh, Look for ways where you can share the power that you have with others who don't have it. How you, through your words and your actions, can see those who have no power and who desperately need someone to come alongside and share your power with them. In this way, we display Jesus. In this way, we show the extravagant generosity of the Father. And God will add to our number people that want to be part of our risky and powerful community. Let's pray together.